Welcome to the Vigor Life Podcast, a source of inspiration, lessons, stories, skill sets, mindsets, and strategies to invigorate and expand all areas of your life. Let's go. Hey, what's going on? And we are back with the Vigor Life Podcast. Today, um, we have a, a special guest, a good friend of mine, and uh, also a physical therapist, among other things. I like, to, I hate to put people in a box, but uh, my friend Dan Swinsko, so thank you for, for being here on the show. And um, today's show is going to be, you know, if we had to put one kind of like headline of what it is, is how to stay out of pain and how to get out of pain. And I, and I wanted to to do this because guess what? So many people that we, we get here at Vigor, you know, come here from after being in pain and getting out of pain or they're still in pain when they get here and there's pretty much just about everybody that has some nagging stuff going on that won't mention it it's almost like how you know you're doing pretty good yeah i feel good you know and then you start doing stuff and training it's like ah, you know i kind of had a cuff tear on this right and it's like whoa you know you didn't put that in the health history um you know and by the way i also have so you know and, and pain is a big first of all I, i'm gonna run it back about five years ago i've had a bunch of injuries in my life but five years ago i had a you know really really bad back injury and I would at that point in time, I would do anything to change that and get get away from that. Um, so I know, you know, with that and many other injuries that I've had, how like it affects not only just your everyday life, because I'd get out of bed and and crawl to the floor to put my socks on. But, you know, for months and months on end and and um, and also like, you know, your performance, like it just you just cannot perform. You can't train like if you can't train, you can't improve. Uh, so it's this like vicious cycle. Um so we're going to start off with kind of, we, we talked about it right before um, we started, right, filming. But, you know, what are the things that you see the most when you come to your clinic as far as injuries? Um, you know, if we look at body parts, mm-hmm. um, you know, what are, like, I don't know, if you if we looked at the 80-20, right? If we looked at the 80-20, you know, uh, 80% of the cases you get come from 20% of the stuff. What's right. that 20%? Well, you know, the, the one of the top things actually is going to be sitting I think as a modern society, so many great things happen with being in a modern world compared to a primitive world. But the negative side effect of that is we all sit a lot and the body that we walk into the room with was not designed for or created for whichever way you want to think of it or evolved into the idea of sitting. And so if we sit a lot, inevitably, we have muscles that stop working as well as they should. We have joints that stiffen up that should be able to be mobile. And there's negative consequences to that. Um, And then I think just general inactivity, the society doesn't move well. And sometimes just trying to get people to be able to do an exercise some people can do so little, they can't even maybe get into a kneeling posture or um, uh, hands and knees posture or stand on one leg or do some things that might be looked at as pretty simple and pretty fundamental. A lot of people can't do it all. So the 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 two things are sitting and inactivity. Those are big. Uh, we see that a lot. Uh, and then for me, uniquely, you know, I'm known for golf and baseball. So I see a lot of those guys. Um, but for general population, um, I think we all sit too much uh, and we're all generally too immobile as a whole. So would you say like, so, you know, this is, I, I love that you're going this direction because essentially, so a lot of the stuff that you see, right? is before some serious trauma or right. some type of, uh, let's just call you know, I mean, I'm sure that you do see, you know, you're seeing tears and bulges and herniations right. and, and, uh, but what leads to it is very rarely, just like in sport, you know, when we see athletes, it's very rarely a, a hit right. or a traumatic yeah, thing. Yeah. The non-contact it's, it's more or less non-contact. Correct. Right? And those are hundred percent preventable. Right. Mm -hmm. So if you jump up for a rebound and you land awkwardly and you sprain your ankle, sprain your knee, tear a ligament, hurt something, 
there's nobody to blame other than you, right? Yeah. You just didn't handle your own body weight uh, competently. Gravity went through your body in an unnatural way and something bad happened. Then you got an injury, right? And so, you know, I would say that the difference kind of like in sport and in general life is usually that in, in, in general population, it's more of a thousands of repetitions. Right. Over we call that time. cumulative micro trauma. Absolutely true. Go. I use sometimes as an example with my back pain patients, because, you know, that's a super common problem. I said, remember the days before everybody had a shredder? And you got that next credit card in the mail. So you had to destroy your old one and you might just bend it back and forth and back and forth. And it's resilient at first, but after you bend it a few times, it softens up and then you see a little crease and the plastic changes color and then it gets soft. And the next thing you know, you've broken it. Well, the walls of our discs are very similar to plastic. You can only bend them the wrong way so many times before eventually they fail. And that cumulative micro trauma, you know, when we tell people sit-ups are probably a bad idea, you don't want to do them. They say, I've done for years never had a problem yet i'm like yet right yeah, and, then, and and here's the thing right so there i because I'm, I'm we're gonna go all over the place but this one <laughs> i wanted to stop you because i you know i agree we, we don't do much sit-ups here we although we do some but there's been a bunch of research and actually Contreras and schoenfeld like kind of countered some of the stuff from mcgill about sit-ups being really bad but he, you know i'm gonna kind of give my premise on this mm -hmm. i agree I, I don't think that you know doing some sit-ups and, and training is is you know is going to destroy anybody but you know, I, I think that the pe people that are already moving from full flexion to extension all the time from their low back because they're not mobile in their hips. Right. Adding more of that and loading more of that. Right. Is never going to be good. Right. Right. No question about that. <laughs> right? So. Yeah. So I think that that's important to understand is like sometimes it, it's kind of like this pendulum swings one way and the other way. It's like, oh, my God, don't right. do a sit up. You're going to die. But right. but at this, you know, I, I think it's more of. Uh, the mindset of like, hey, let's get people to stabilize their core and get their get their hips moving better right. and their upper back moving better and rotating in, in the right areas. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with flexing your spine without load. Um, but if you do it repeatedly, then you get to that cumulative micro trauma. Now, maybe you're a wrestler. And a wrestler had better do sit-ups because mm -hmm. otherwise they're going to get pinned if they can't flex off the mat, if they get in that position. Or if you're a gymnast or a diver where they have to tuck their body into a ball as they spin and do the things in the air that they do. Um, Joe Average just wanting to work on his abs. I've probably got some ways I could give you more risk-reward opportunities more in your favor than a sit-up. But if he wants to do a sit-up, it's not the end of the world. We just modify it a little bit. Exactly. Like even McGill, he'll have yep. you sit up to where your thoracic spine is off the ground, mm -hmm. but nothing else is. So you're not really shearing the lumbar region you're just coming up and you're getting some nice tension in that yeah. abdominal and I wall. Think, I think the answer then becomes too, right? At the end of the day, everybody just wants a result. Right. Right. If it, it's, right. It's, especially if we look at like clients. I mean, it, it, when I when I go to, I don't know, the bank and I want to get an SBA loan, all this stuff in between, I could give a shit about that. I'm just like, listen, <laughs> what <laughs> do I need to do result. here so that I can get this, right? right? But it's the same way when people come to us. And I, I mean, I think educating is important because if, if we educate people, then what tends to happen is, is like the, the awareness, right? Mm -hmm. Awareness precedes change. But at the end of the day, like for instance, somebody wants to have abs. Mm -hmm. A big part of it is obviously it's, yeah, it's training smart, but nutrition. It's That's not gonna, right. It's exactly. Not gonna, you know, if your percent body fat is a little on the high side, I don't care how many sit-ups you Exactly. Yeah. Right. And so I think the result there too, with, with a lot of, uh, you know, since we're talking about abs and low back pain, and I think we're going to spend quite a bit of time on low back pain because it's such an issue with people that I see here at the gym. And I know, it's a lot with, you know, the people mm -hmm. that you see as well. Um, but, you know, what are the things like if you went down a checklist, mm -hmm. right? And and you couldn't 
you know, you couldn't assess a person mm-hmm. right off the bat, but you know, somebody say, hey, listen, what are the three to five different things that you do with somebody who has back pain? Um, but you can't assess them for like individually, this is probably what's causing. And so, okay. because we're kind of talking. It's like, if nothing else, be able to do this. Be able exactly. To do you know, okay. like general population, yeah. like right now they could do some stuff at right. home, but to understand. First thing right on my list, and because it happens almost every single time is hip flexibility. Mm-hmm. The hip joint is a ball and socket joint. It's the biggest ball and socket in your body. It's immediately adjacent to the center of gravity of your body. And it's surrounded by the biggest muscles of your body. That's where the action's supposed to be. And if your hips do not move well, you'll move near there which mm-hmm. is going to be lumbar spine. lumbar spine and the lumbar spine is supposed to have a little bit of movement, not a lot of movement. So if you start trying to arbitrarily create lumbar motion that should have originally been hip motion, that's that cumulative microtrauma again. And so we explain that to people all the time. So hip mobility is huge. How you go about getting it, you can do yeah. whatever you prefer. If you're a stretch guy or you're a movement guy or whatever, they all have validity um, or manual therapy or what have you. Um, but those hips have got to move better. So I'd put that number one on my list. Um being a fan of Stu McGill that you referenced and reading his stuff, um, his research is very solid on if you can't hold a plank for two minutes, you're in a significant risk category that you don't want to be in. Uh, and so I would say if I just generally work on the hip mobility, get to where you can do a two minute plank. Once you can do a regular two minute plank, then we can talk about doing other stuff. I'm not a big fan of the plank, but I'm a big fan of Stuart McGill's research. Yep. And yeah, I think so just, I mean, obviously boring as, as hell, but as if you can test, do one, then do something else as yeah, a test, yeah, right? Yeah. So I would get to that. And then the third one would be a little bit variable, but I think if there's one thing I could do for general pop to keep their back happy, that just blanket, learn how to move smarter instead of harder. People don't understand body mechanics very well at all. And so a big part of like something as simple as vacuuming your house. If you have back pain and you have to vacuum your house, you're going to let your floor be dirty um, because there's a lot of torque there. There's so many different ways you can accomplish things working smarter instead of harder that, that make a real positive difference to how you feel, how you pick up and carry stuff. People will pick up something so carefully and then put it down foolishly. Yeah. It just blows <laughs> me away. Or um, I always give a hard time to my back pain patients who come in and they come into the treatment room and they set their stuff on the floor when there's a countertop right there. Why on earth, if you can't bend over without pain, would you set your stuff on the ground? Right? The power of habit. The power of habit. <laughs> yes, sir. Read that book, right? So um, those kinds of things, there's, there's so many examples just with body mechanics um, would probably be my third one. So be able to do a two minute plank from a stability point of view, at least um, get some hip flexibility. So you move where you're supposed to and then learn how to work smarter. Because even if you have poor flexibility and poor strength, you're going to have less force going across you mm-hmm. if you move more efficiently. Great points. So be like, my top three. Those three points are awesome. Uh, by the way, if you go to YouTube and put in the vigorous 13 mobility circuit, you will have a 30 minute, <laughs> 30 minute circuit of all mobility drills and, and t- soft tissue for your hips. So there you go. And but, we use a lot of those at our clinic, by yeah, the way. There we go. Baby. Yeah. So that's, but I mean, those are great points because they're very kind of like, let's zoom out and, and for people to understand like, yeah. okay, that's going to be great. Um, but I, I think, you know, that's, it, we speak so much in generalities and I say we, a lot of times as the industry, which is kind of like all over the place mm-hmm. many times, right? It, the deadlift is good. It is. It's fabulous, right? But if you see somebody deadlifting right. crazy, then that's not good. Or it, if they it, don't have the prerequisites. Or if they don't uh, have the prerequisites. I gave a talk once to a track and conditioning um, group of coaches for Washington State. And I told them the criteria to be able to safely do a deadlift from the ground is to be able to do a toe touch. And I guarantee you there's a lot of those high school kids, because I see them, 
They can't touch their toes, but yet they're trying to deadlift from the ground. And the coach is yelling out about more and more harder, harder. That's stupid. Um, borderline criminal. If you're, a, if you're a professional, um, you absolutely have to have certain prerequisites to do things. Now that kid, I'm not saying don't deadlift, you bring him up to a platform, right? So that kid's not deadlifting from the floor. He's deadlifting from an elevated position somewhere. You can use the pins in the squat rack. You can put some plates on the ground. You can use boxes if your gym has them, whatever. Um, but that's somebody who shouldn't be deadlifting from the floor. And Plus, if you understand, sorry to cut you off, uh, the deadlift well, you might do a conventional pull, the straight bar. You might use a trap bar, which is going to be a little easier on your back if you have some issues like that. You might learn how to go sumo. You might do suitcase. There's a lot of variations to how to deadlift so you can find the sweet spot where someone can get the benefit of the exercise with what they bring to the table at that time. And I think because it sometimes is thought of so like black and white and, and you know, and that's right. why I think it's so important to educate is because, you know, it's like somebody saying like, everybody's got a squat and then people- Or ask to, to the grass squat, Ask right? to the grass squat. Yeah. Like it's, and it's like, oh, or deadlift, right? But mm-hmm. there are so many variations. I mean, even, right. uh, I'm, I'm sure that people that are in, in a lot of pain, I mean, obviously you want to get them out of certain amounts of pain, but- but then like we even do like pull throughs or kettlebell deadlifts, just hinging. Yes. Right. Cause, cause when people say something blatantly like, well, my back is hurt. Uh, so I cannot deadlift, yeah. but then sadly they, their doctor sometimes says that we'll, we'll say that. Right. Yeah. Which is sad because you know, if, if they say, well, can I pick stuff off the floor? And the doctor goes like, yeah, okay, well I'm deadlifting, just no load. I mean, it's the same thing. Mm-hmm. So you want to be able to get them to a, a pain free hinge and then just, you know, obviously load it up once we're better. And, right. and, and you know, that's why we're kind of speaking a little bit of a generalities because you can't assess somebody and say, well, you know, this is what's going on with this guy and this yeah. guy, but it's the same thing with the squat. Uh, you know, we squat everyone. I mean, you know, and, and some people that have no cartilage and knees and we box squat high, but Absolutely. you know, it's, but everybody squats is just like, not putting a round peg through a square hole or making, you know, people feel bad because I have back squatted heavy for two years. And, you know, can I, yes, you know, risk to benefit right. after my back injury. Yeah. I don't want to really go there. You know, it's just like conventional deadlifts. I don't do them, but I love trap bar and I'll go super heavy sumos. I'll do, yep. uh, you know, and it's, and it's one of those things. Once again, what is the result that you want to achieve? And I'll even you know, add on to that because we see a lot of high school kids and high school kids are a lot of times to measure each other. What's your max? Why do you care? I mean, I understand why they care, yeah. but I mean, it's not relevant. And if there's an adult that's programming this weightlifting for all of these kids, if the sport is weightlifting, you need to max because that's your performance. But these are primarily football players and kids playing other sports. The weightlifting is supposed to complement the sport. The sport yeah. Weightlifting is not the sport. So I really don't care if my lineman can max this number or that. I want the weightlifting to make my lineman knock over the other guy across from him. That's what I want. And if you want to have a measuring stick, then go with a 5RM, something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. Um, and you'll still have an idea of where you are. And if you want to get on the internet, you can do some some assessment of it will probably be this. I don't know how accurate those are, but those RM calculators are out there. So if your 5RM is a certain number, it'll tell you what your max probably will be. I don't think they're necessarily accurate based on my own playing around with the numbers, Um, but it gives you an idea if you really feel like you have to have it. Um, But people maxing in the weight room is also something, you know, what is your point? You know, you say, what is the result you're looking to get? So if I want to make myself better, I don't really care what my max is unless my max is somehow tied to some reward or some achievement or whatever. I just and want to get stronger. Here's the thing though, right? Too, I mean, because I understand the gratification of, of improving your numbers. Now here's where I'm going to, you know, 
I think that improving your, if you train smart, you always improve your numbers better. Exactly. Because one, we said, if you get injured, you can't train. Right. <laughs> but, but number two, it, you know, going gung-ho, it's the instant gratification button, like it tends to pop up in a lot of places, right? Let me get this up no matter what. And, and there's a problem there because with smart programming and, and, you know, whatever program somebody picks to choose, whether yeah. it's just linear periodization or it's conjugate or, or whatever, but just right. smart. At least have a plan. I have right? a plan. Exactly. <laughs> right. In, in a, a plan that's, you know, that's, that's hard, but safe in, in a sense, because it's like, Hey, if you don't hit this today, like nothing's going to happen. Right. Right. Unless, like I said, you're in something like Olympic weightlifting or powerlifting right. or something right. like that, you know, but if you're smart, your, you know, your next phase, you're going to hit some better numbers or, or, and, and we're always, I think it comes back to, you know, whether we're talking high school athletes or, uh, you know, or, or higher level athletes, or if we're talking, you know, people in general, like the patience, right. Mm-hmm. I think like one of, what is one of one virtue I think that there's not enough of is patience, mm-hmm. uh, because it pays off so well. Okay. You know, don't like do like obviously work your ass off, but be patient with the result. It's almost like the same, the, the behavior versus the outcome, yes. right? Behavior outcome. So, okay, my goal is to do this. And to do that every day, I have to do this movement stuff and train and mm-hmm. eat good. You can't really, you nobody can predict. You can't tell anybody you're going to hit this amount of like I- I- improvement in how much you lift right. by this time. Like nobody can say that because of sleep patterns, genetics. I mean, All life, everything. But what you can control is I went and did my workout today. Yes. I followed this nutrition habit. I did this movement rehab stuff exactly. that because my back is hurting. That you can control. And I think that plays so well. Uh, you know, if you could get everybody that you see to do certain drills every day, I mean, how much easier would, right. would your life and be? Right? It reminded me of something that comes up quite a lot is how often people come to see me. Because, again, most of the people see me here because they're hurting from something. I knew I shouldn't have done it that day, but it's what I had planned to do. We have to be prepared in our training to call an audible. And if you're just not feeling it that day, do what Dan John would call a punching the clock workout. Just show up, get some work done and get out. There's value in those workouts. Not every workout is YouTube worthy, right? And that's okay. It's just just another day. Get your work in and be a hero a different day if you wake up just feeling off that day. There's nothing wrong with that. It's great you brought that up. Like So I literally, last night I was talking to uh, one of our clients, Bodie, who's like uh, saying like, ah, man, I wasn't feeling it today. And, and I, I brought up Dan John's quote, said, listen, out of every five workouts, what one's going to be the greatest thing on earth, right? I mean, you're hitting numbers, you're feeling great, you're feeling amazing. One's going to feel like shit, like nothing's going to, you know, and you're just like, you're just getting through it. Right. And then three are going to be the punch to clock. Like, man, it's pretty good. It's, you know, it's not fabulous. It's just getting it done. And I, I think that many people think that working out is always like this, like the motivational video you see right. on YouTube, like you get in and it's like, yeah. yeah. The problem is everybody's on Facebook and Twitter and there's Instagram and they're seeing the, you know, the, you, nobody videos their run of the mill workout. Oh, yeah. It's oh, the yeah. PR, right? The really cool thing that they did, the really big thing that they did. And uh, the reality is that's not every time. It can't be, you're going to break down. And that's why the consistency and patience is everything. Um, you know, I've been fortunate enough to lift weights now for 20 years, pretty much. Right. And, and I look back and I say, I haven't missed more than two weeks of lifting in 20 years. And this is like real statistic. And, you know, when, when these guys come in and our interns that now obviously been with us for years and stuff, you know, that's probably the first thing that I say is like, okay, make a year plan, you know, 
what's the big picture? Because mm-hmm. if you go, this is what I want to do in eight weeks, and you actually don't have a bigger picture, what, what happens, happens then? then? Yeah, then you know, you're lost for a while to create the next eight weeks. Exactly, yeah. right? And I don't think there's anything wrong with like having moments of, you know, eight to 12 weeks throughout the year when you push harder. Right. But it, you can't do that all the time, right? right? It, so it's like you have this ebb and flow of go really hard, back off, you know, and, and then kind of just do the punch the clock workouts for right. a while and then push it again. And right. It, it's never linear. Yeah. And like and, you said, you should have a plan and you should have a plan. <laughs> you should have a plan. Yes. And sometimes like, sometimes I think it's, it's also important to know, like the plan is to take it easier, you know, but, but the plan is to, to chill more and, and have structure, but not like overwhelm yourself with boundaries. Right. And, and I think it depends on where you are in, in kind of like your, your lifting career. But, um, and I, you know, I don't know, how you feel about this, but there was like, right now I'm on a 12 week program. Like it's really structured. I'm st- sticking to it, but there was like three, four month period where my goal was like, okay, I'm training five days a week. Three of them are lifts. Two of them are conditioning. Like here's my template, but I'm going to kind of go where I, wherever I feel like, you know? And, and I think that's important because we always say, you know, th- this is another thing that I don't like is the bashing in industry. Uh, things like, Oh, why are you doing Zumba when intervals are better? You know, and and it's like to a lady that's just started doing something. Right. You know, and and it and it's like you're making her feel bad about actually getting up, you know, right. and doing some work right. and changing her life. Right. And those are sometimes the things that actually derail people, right? For sure. And and I've and, and I'll raise my hand and say, I, you know, five, six years ago, I'd be like, well, but this is better, science says. Yeah. Um, and and now I'm just like, well, I, are they doing more than they did before? Yeah. And that's a win. Right. And it might be the entry point that after a while, exactly. Zumba gets boring and they realize, you know what? I'm really not that strong doing Zumba. I'm just moving more. I'm starting to feel better. Yep. What's my next thing? Because mm-hmm. it's very hard to go from the couch to a really challenging weightlifting workout or a big challenging kettlebell workout. Sometimes you have to train before you can train. Right. And I use the curves as a great example. I don't think curves has much value for anybody except the people they're meant to be there. Yeah. Where <laughs> that's their starting point. And they go there, they work out for a while, they see the benefit, they make friends with the weight room. And then they learn there's some other stuff that'll get them more value than the weightlifting stations. That's a great, that's a great point though. I mean, I, I really do think that's a great point because we're at a point in time and, and, and I'm, I'm a big fan of precision nutrition, by the way, I always mm-hmm. bring this up. Yep. Uh, you know, we use that here as pretty much our system uh, for nutrition coaching. And, you know, when I, when I talk to, uh, you know, Dr. Berardi, it's always talking about, okay, look, there's a lot of people in fitness that are servicing people that are fit, trying to get fitter. And then there's this humongous, the majority of the population that need help and feel intimidated, right. Sure. Intimidated from, yeah. uh, by, I would say uh, like the marketing and what's out there, right? So you have this, you know, if you're not in, a, you know, the, the memes that are like, hey, if you're not in a wheelchair, you didn't do a good leg workout. <laughs> and it's like, woo, right. uh, you know, and so there's like this really hardcore type of, uh, I, I would say marketing and, and message that scares the crap out of people. Like even sure. in our gym, like I'll, I'll admit it that at Vigor, you know, one of my premises is always trying to communicate in contact with all the people that come in and, you know, and kind of nurture them in this way of like, Hey, you know, look, here's this, you know, here's one of our, one of our members, Susan, that's, you know, 67 and doing all this amazing stuff. And Mm -hmm. she couldn't do this right to, to where they see that they can do it. Um, where, and then there's the other part, which is the, you can do it in eight weeks, instant gratification, detox. People need to learn about that. You know, if it sounds too good to be true, it 
More than likely is. More than likely is. Because what happens after that eight weeks is you fatten right back up again. I mm -hmm. mean, even every bikini model will tell you they work their rear end off with their discipline, with their sleep, with their nutrition, with their hydration, with their training like crazy to get that lean. And then thank God the pictures are over and then they can live a normal life again. (laughs) That is what's on the cover of the magazine. People don't live like that. Even the people who do that for a living don't live like that. They just do it for a while to take the picture, get the check and do something different. And so they, yeah. it's, it's, it is a shame that people get intimidated. I, I remember listening to Alan Cosgrove, who I know, you know, yeah. and he said, you know what? Maybe what the dude starts with is just not getting a Coke with his Big Mac and fries anymore. That's it. Go to the water instead of the Coke. And after a while, maybe it becomes a small fry instead of a big fry. And then after a while, maybe he just doesn't go there every day. He just goes there every once in a while. And then and just, you just get the ball moving in the right direction. Cause even, you know, not that great is better than nothing. It's a change. I mean, and yeah. that's, you know, some of the examples that are the best example, we, we have one of our guys in the transformation right now that in five or six weeks dropped 29 pounds. Now, the thing is, you know, would I say that that's like normal? No. I mean, you know, he had quite a bit of weight to lose, but they were like, oh, well, what meal plan was, you know, what macros was, you know, I was like, well, no, like we just cut down some of the beer. We, <laughs> we made some other like, ch- like small changes yeah. that, that seemingly small, but small hinges swing big doors. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, and obviously they're training consistently, but I, you know, going gung ho into any type of program, it, it tends to be overwhelming. And I think it is with everything, right? I mean, if somebody comes and sees you and you just bombard them with a lot of stuff. That was early in my career. It freaks them out. Oh yeah, me too. Yeah. Uh, I know all right. these really cool exercises for yeah. you. So I'm going to show them all to you today. And they come back and they say, I don't, you know, that the, the inside premise in the rehabilitation world is you show people exercises and they don't do them. What I really think that is, that is a statement saying how bad we are as physical therapists at our jobs. And now I don't have any of that problem because the person has a very clear evaluation. The problem is clear to me. It's clear to them or they don't leave if they don't get it. And once they get it, then they're like, okay, if this is our problem, does this exercise make sense to you? Yes, I get that. Great. Come back the next time. How are we doing? I've done it every day. You feeling better? Yeah. Starting to feel better. Cool. Now let's build on it. So let me, you know, let me ask you something then, because I think this is so important with, with actually everything. Do you, do you communicate a lot with, with your clients in the sense of, you know, there's a two way communication. For it, sure. It's not. And I mean, I kind of know the answer to this because I know you, but, <laughs> but I think I'm trying to bring out this point of, you know, to where you're asking and it's not like telling. Right. Hey, listen, this is what's wrong yeah. with you. This is what you can't do. This is what you can't do. Here you right. go. Go ahead. Right. right. And I think there's still so much of that, uh, it, you know, but you work with them. You ask them questions. You know, right. do they understand it? How do they feel to, to get them right to kind of like figure out that they chose this. Yes. If that makes sense, right? Yeah, exactly. We They have to understand it. I'll give you an example. There was a lady that came to see me with a particular treatment in mind. And okay. so she came in, I want this particular thing. I'm like, okay, well, let's do an evaluation, see what we're doing. And she didn't need it. She wanted a particular type of manual therapy because she read somewhere, somebody told her about me or whatever she wanted. And she had a type of a problem where when she was upright against gravity, she couldn't move her neck normally at all. It felt tight to her and it hurt. But if she laid down on a table, she had normal range of motion. And if I moved it for her, she had normal range of motion. In fact, she moved like warm butter. She was better than I do. (laughs) But she couldn't do it against gravity. 
So it, she felt tight, not because something needed to be stretched or released or whatever, but because her body was putting a parking brake on her because she didn't have control. So what she needed was some very specific exercise, but that isn't what she wanted. So I had to explain it to her and then she kind of owned it and we had to go through it a couple of times, but eventually she owned it. And I saw her today. Last time I saw her was two weeks ago and she moves fine now. Perfect. Example. So, you know, it's an example of if we didn't have that two-way communication, I said, this is what's wrong. This is what you need to do. She would have walked out politely and never walked back in. Exactly. Cause, right. Because the number one, I, I think with a lot of uh, clinicians, I think in any, any like with doctors and physical therapists and a lot of these uh, the realms, what I hear a lot in, in, in studies read that is they're not being heard. When the clients are yes. not being heard, even if they're, even if, you know, they're kind of, I would say, um, you know, their thought or what they want may seem crazy. To, to go like, oh, that's crazy. They just take this, right? You yeah. feel, when you don't feel heard, there's no trust. And when there's no trust, it doesn't matter how smart you are, how good you are. I'm not going to want to work with you because it's like, I don't feel understood. And I feel like I'm almost like, you know, being disrespected and eh, yes, whatever. Spot on. We get that in a, we have satisfaction surveys we send out to all of our, that we get that back very, very calmly. We appreciate you took the time to listen to me. Or when people talk to us about wanting a different doctor because they're unhappy with theirs, almost always, I don't feel like he or she is listening to me. That's and a big deal. This is, you know, this is awesome. Like um, we did a, uh, we did at our last changing the game event. We had um, Dr. Brardy live on, on a, on a stream. We had some really awesome questions. And one of my questions that was like a question for all the fit pros for the crowd. Right. But it was like, okay, Here's the scenario, right? We like everybody feels compelled, like we, we want to help people, but a lot of people seem to want the four, six week, 12 week, whatever it may be, right? And we still do it. So I'm not against it. I just think it's how you communicate and what it does, right? Mm -hmm. But the question for, from me to him was, you know, what happens when somebody's like going hard on a route? Like, no, I'm going to do this HCG or this detox or whatever. Mm -hmm. You know, what do you say, right? because they want a certain result fast. And his answer was, I think for a lot of people kind of, uh, uh, I don't think it's, it's going to be out, out there, but it was a, a great example. It was a little different than I think what everybody thought it was going to be. And it was to let them do that if they want to, after you explain what you recommend. Okay. So, so it was pretty much, well, I would recommend this. Here's why, right? Mm -hmm. Based on, and obviously there's a conversation before that. Like, so based on the results that you want, and you said that once you lose this weight or, you know, you want to keep it off because it's frustrating to put it back on, you know, based on that, I'd recommend this because of this, and this will get you this benefit. Yes. Now, if you would like to still go ahead with option A, right? I'll support you in that and we can monitor it and let's check in 30 days and see how you feel. Yes. We have that exact same situation in rehab. There's a lady I'm working with right now. comes to mind right away. Her name is Cindy and Cindy plays tennis and Cindy has a knee with a lot of problems that is above an ankle with a lot of problems that is beneath a core with a lot of problems. <laughs> um, but only the knee hurts mm -hmm. and her knee has been x-rayed and it's in line to be replaced. I'm like, okay, fine. But we don't know if it needs to be replaced. You know, the same thing we talked about before, like, you know, we don't treat films, we treat people. And there's a lot of people with bad x-rays that feel good. And a lot of people with good x-rays that feel bad. Um, but that ankle doesn't move well. So her knee is at a mechanical disadvantage every step she takes and her core is woefully unstable. So her center of gravity is all over the place. So her knee's moving in unnatural ways because of that. 
let's fix these things and see how you do. And see how you do. Yeah. Yeah. But my team wants to play in a doubles tournament next week. Is next <laughs> week enough? <laughs> Probably not. But here's the thing. You're a big girl, make your big girl decision. So give her my recommendation that I can tell you right now that the forces your leg will be exposed to, to play tennis are well in excess of what you've demonstrated the ability to control. But if you want to go play, go play. It's your knee, right? Just, just, so I will support you, yes. but I'm going to help you, but understand, expect to feel worse when you're done. Yeah. And that, you know, that's great. And, and uh, kind of like you mentioned something that we, we, uh, we talked about before, but bringing it up. Uh, and that is, you know, that how many people like have nothing on x-rays and feel like crap another way around. Like they right. feel like, you know, like crap. And, uh, or should I say there is stuff on x-ray, uh, they don't feel it. Or, or or MRIs, or they don't have it, but they do feel it, right? right. So, meaning, let's just take an example of, of back pain because there are you know there's a lot of data on this, uh, and it's going to lead into a lot of other stuff. And as you can see, guys, we're kind of like going all over the place, but there's a lot of value, and that's all that matters. <laughs> uh, so, uh, you know, and I, I forgot what the statistics you said. I think it was something as as much as that. You know, eighty percent. I think eighty percent of people have some type of disc herniation or bulge. It's uh, in the 60s. It's in the 60s. Yeah, it's the yeah. majority. Yeah, okay. And these, mind you, are pain-free. So I'm old enough now that I remember life as a physical therapist before mm-hmm. MRIs were out there. They were the new thing and they were very expensive and there was only like one in Bellevue, one in Seattle. It wasn't like they were everywhere like they are now. And over time, they've gotten you know better and uh, less expensive. And so what's happened over time last about decade or so is they've gotten to the point where we can start MRIing what you would call normal people to find <laughs> out if we even know what normal is. Cause we think we know what normal is, but do we, or do we not? And so that's been hugely helpful in finding that 60 some percent of pain-free people, no history of back pain ever, no trauma, no injury, no nothing have got disc bulges visible on MRI. So what we've learned is if someone has back pain and then they have an MRI and it shows they have a disc, that's really not groundbreaking news because we knew they had, you know, better than 50, 50 chance of being there anyway, where it becomes really relevant is if they have these disc bulges and findings similar to that and good movement patterns or disc bulges and bad movement patterns. Yes. Cause what it seems like is you can get by with a crummy MRI if you have good movement patterns, but there's no way you're going to get by with a crummy MRI with bad movement patterns. And so the way how that has guided us is the people who have a bad MRI and bad movement patterns, we tell them to calm down and we improve their movement patterns. And most of the time, the vast majority of the time, the they majority. feel great. And, and, and that's but, what I'm sorry. I think the vast majority, would you say as far as like eight to nine out of 10? Yes. Okay, like probably perfect. eight out of 10. If you come to me with a crummy MRI and crummy movement patterns, I have, I'll bet you lunch that if we get your movement patterns normalized and move well, that you're going to be really happy with how you feel yep. as well. Um, but the other side of that, is if you have um, a crummy MRI and crummy movement patterns and someone's talking to you about surgery, fix the movement patterns first, first because you may not need the surgery, but if you have a bad MRI and good movement patterns and you still feel terrible, you're the perfect person for surgery. You're going to have a great outcome. I think everybody knows somebody who had surgery and it didn't seem to help. Well, it wasn't because they didn't see what they saw in MRI. Is that no one considered the other piece of that with the movement patterns? Because again, like we said, normal people walking around feeling fine have bad MRIs. Perfect. I, that, you know, it's, um, it's, I love, I love to have examples just, I'm sure you have because people can relate to them the most. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we got a couple of guys that have, uh, you know, one legitimately has been scheduled for hip, uh, both double hip replacement at, mm-hmm. at a pretty young age. And, you know, he's like, I, I got to stop training. You know, I said, 
I wouldn't necessarily go that far. You know, what makes you think that it's like, look, I, you know, I'm just, I'm hurting and you know, like this is how far I can squat. And his squat is pretty much a half a squat maybe mm -hmm. at best. And I said, you know, do you feel any pain? There's like, not really just bony blocks. Right. I said, okay, look, come and see me and we'll do some assessment stuff and see, you know, see what we can do. Now I'll say the first thing is that, you know, for him, his mindset, he was training really hard in a certain way. Uh, without taking into account what was going on with him. So obviously then there was the frustration of the pain. I can't do this. I yeah. can't do that. And it, this is bringing me to like, if the joint doesn't move well, right, then everything that's done on top of it is just going to wear the joint out faster. Right. So that's kind of like what was happening. So we all we did was, you know, from breathing drills to core positioning to like creating some external cues to create tension and centrate his, his joints. He got to parallel, even a little below parallel with no pain. Yeah. And ex the, the example was, okay, this is 20 minutes. You can train. You just got to train smart, right? You can train yes. hard, but smart. And the thing is, you're still going to, you know, he's still going to have to go and get a surgery. But the thing is, the, the key for me was saying like, you create a great foundation when you come out yes. that you can build on. Because otherwise, even after surgery, you're going to start having issues really fast. Yeah. And, and in the second example with Tony, they said, look, you know, you don't have to get, you have a bone spur in your hip, but you don't have to get surgery right now. But, you know, down the line, you will. Yep. And I said, look, that down the line could be for you maybe five years or maybe we can make it 10. And by 10 years, who knows what else is going to be, you know, the, right. the, the technology is going to be for, for hip replacements. Right? right. So I think it's very like, you know, this is very powerful. I think for people to understand, like if you, you know, if, if you have bad movement patterns, like right now majority of people do yeah which which is i don't want to say it's great because i'm not trying to tell you that you know shitty movement patterns you have are great but what's they're great is that you're, they're easy to change yes. and if you have if you have if you have pain like you can get rid of that pain. yeah and we see that so much and it's um it's exciting and and i think in the context because we kind of work in a, in a very similar world in that you know we get people from you that that move better right then we can push them harder for sure. Right. And when you push people harder and they can do more without pain, guess what? They get better results. They yeah. feel better. They feel happier. Yeah. You made me think about a situation that, you know, everybody's going to have, if they're lucky enough to live long enough is arthritis. Mm -hmm. And one thing that I, I really get frustrated by the traditional medical model is someone comes in with pain wherever they see a doc and they say, well, sir, it looks like you have arthritis. Sorry, there's nothing we can do. Goodbye. And technically that's true. You can't give, you can't unarthritis an arthritic joint, but the person isn't there complaining of arthritis. The person's there complaining of pain. Pain. Yes. And if I have someone come in that are talking about this, this happens a lot in my office because we look at the whole of the person. Someone comes in for knee pain. I don't look at their knee. I look at them. So I'm going to look at all their motion of all their joints because it all interrelates. And inevitably you find other stuff. And they say, oh, that's just my arthritis. Nothing you can do about it. <laughs> Is that a challenge? Right? I mean, really? Um, and they come in with the absolutely lowest expectations because they were led to believe there's nothing you can do about arthritis. My own mother in this, I had this conversation with my own mom a couple of years ago. Um, oh, Danny, there's nothing you can do. It's arthritis. I'm like, mom, do you know what I do for a living? <laughs> right? You know who I treat? And we do this all the time. And 
no one can change the arthritic damage in a joint, but it's not horrifically challenged or difficult to improve the movement patterns that that joint is a part of, like a squat pattern. Yes. And like you said, breathing. We could talk for hours on just breathing alone. In fact, when you said, what are, what's one, you know, like three things that every back pain patient could do, that list that actually should have had breathing every, on yeah, it. Yeah. Um, and people, when we talk to them about breathing, you're like, what do you mean I'm not breathing right? I'm, I'm alive. You know, my skin has color. What, you know, what do you mean? And so we start explaining to them that the air is going to get in your body somehow and you're going to have gas exchange somehow. But if you do it with your diaphragm, everything's better than if you don't and you're not. So here's the negative consequence to your neck and upper body. Here's the negative consequence to your core and lower body and explain that through to them and give them some drills to try to change that. And you help this guy just like that. Um, just by changing his breathing pattern, I'm sure his squat got a little bit better. A ton. And, and, yeah. and the thing is, what I like about those things is that because you can change it so fast, right? It's, it's the proof of them to give you like, all right, I believe you. Yes. Let's, I'll give you more, more of a chance to show me more, yes. uh, you know, which I think is important. And it's not, you know, I mean, obviously there's a lot of tricks that we can pull off in, in assessments yeah. and, but you know, all that does is obviously creates a temporary change. What I have to explain is like, you have to do this consistently right. and then ingrain these patterns and strengthen these gotta areas. Hit save on the document. Right? <laughs> you gotta save on the document yeah. for it, for it to, to work. Cause otherwise you're just going to go back to the same patterns. Right. Um, and you know, with that said, right. Cause there, there's another point that I wanted to make, you know, about pain because pain is, well, first I'm going to touch on the point that, you know, there's all these conflicting studies, right. When we talk about back pain, cause there's a lot of arguments like, you know, what works for back pain mm -hmm. and really like, there's never been any study confirming like this, exactly this will solve your back pain. Back pain is very all over the place. Yes. But the, the reason why at the beginning I said, you know, which are the things that people should address? See, we know that in a majority of situations, if you do the things that we talked about from uh, hip mobility, core strength, better breathing to just improving movement people get better mm -hmm. like that. We know. So we don't have to argue about like these, I think it was a 2004 study that was showing all these conflicting studies yeah. and it's just like, follow, follow what works. Yeah. One of the challenges is in research, they want to isolate one thing. Yeah. Does manipulating the spine work better than exercise? Well, even that I would say what exercise <laughs> and who monitored yeah. to make sure it was done correctly, mm -hmm. but they'll do that. Or um, does electrical stim work better than ultrasound? Are these things that are just irrelevant and, but, in research, they're trying to, if this, then that, yeah. and they're looking for the one thing. And there was actually a study done in 1996 or thereabouts. It was the American Healthcare Center for Policy and Research, I believe is what it was created. And our tax dollars went to this because back pain is however many billions per year. It's that, so it's 80, I think it's 82 billion, 82, 82 billion, billion a year dollars, American on, dollars on related to back pain. Yep. So um, no wonder they wanted to see if we can cut into that, right? And so they had a committee of people who understood research and said, I want you to go through everything you can find that's ever been in print in any language, translate the language. And what they did is they did all that. And then they had the statistics experts to see if they did legit stats or if it was smoke and mirrors. And that cleared out some of the studies. And then they had different criteria. And of all the studies that after going through all the criteria, then what's the common denominator? And there was one thing and one thing only. Do you know what it is? I would love you know, to know. Area, you, you, got you. Me, you got me on the. Come back <laughs> next week. Um, and, and they did this, whether the person was surgical or non-surgical, whether it was, you know, they have any perceived perceived gain, like if it was a car accident and they're thinking maybe there's a settlement, any of those things. So regardless of who the payer was, regardless of their surgical or non-surgical, male or female, um, neck, mid-back or low-back, 
all socioeconomic status is the one thing they filtered out with, and it's free, aerobic work. If aerobic exercise was a component of your rehabilitation, you did better than if, if not. And that's all they could find. So that's a nice thing to say. You should do something aerobic as part of your life, um, but also shows there's no one thing. Mm-hmm. You know, the I think the fact that they didn't find anything is really what it means is what your back pain needs is what your back pain needs. Now, there are things that I would expect. Like I said, you probably have a breathing pattern issue. You probably have some body mechanics to learn. Your core probably doesn't have what it needs and your hips probably don't move as well as they should. Mm-hmm. But I said probably. Yeah. Right. Um, So there's going to need to be something. And so if you see somebody that does something that you need, you're probably going to have some positive results. If you see somebody who does everything you need, you're going to have awesome results. And and I think this whole, you know, this whole time as we're speaking, I hope that there's a point that comes out that, you know, it's great to move. It's great to train. um, But there is a way to like, you know, we say just build on dysfunction. And I think it is very important to understand what good movement is, you know, even if it's, I mean, mean, obviously like, you know, you own a, a a physical therapy clinic, a couple of clinics, like I own own a gym. So, you know, come and see us, (laughs) but, 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 but it's true. I mean, even if you have a friend or a group where, you know, that they do things right and they understand movement, I think it's important to be around people to go like, Hey, like, you know, this is how you do it. Here's some drills because if you do start training and and I love it, like you're motivated, you take that first step, but you start doing it the wrong way or you, you build up on b- bad movements, dysfunction, yeah. nagging injuries, things like that. Things will go wrong. And, sure. and when they go wrong, they'll, they'll go wrong pretty bad. Yeah. And then you kind of fall into this cycle of, you know, of of constantly like rest, get better, come back, build on faulty stuff again, yes. repeat process. Yes, and, you see uh, that a lot. And there's and obviously that's frustrating as frustrating can be. Um, and it's better to take that one step back and two or three forward. Um, and, and so I highly encourage you and I'd have like I'd I'd almost, you know, I'd say I I just have you consider that if you if you're listening to this or watching this that and you have issues that you know, it's worth going to get checked out, even just no getting question. a full blown assessment from yes. somebody who knows what they're doing yeah. and giving you drills. Yeah, right? I couldn't agree more. And actually, one thing that I try to with uh, the docs that I interact with is I'll say, if you've got a new patient coming to see you, they just moved into town. They want you to be their doctor. You're probably going to do a physical on them. Yeah. So you're going to test this, this and yes, even if they're not complaining of it. Right. Right. So to get a back uh, baseline. So like it is a great example is like blood pressure. You want to know what that person's blood pressure is, because even if they feel totally fine, you might find a reading that is a red flag of bad things to come. And you want to address that. Well, in movement, we have markers there, too. So even if you feel fine, I can do a movement assessment on you and see if you're moving efficiently or not. Do you competently move your own body through space? Yes or no. And you may not hurt, but if you move without that competency, you're moving inefficiently. So your training will lag behind and you're carrying an increased risk of injury. doesn't mean you will. It's just easier. So a great analogy is, it's like you're driving your car and your car's just not running right. And you, oh, I left the parking brake on. You release the parking brake and now your car drives great. If you have faulty movement patterns and you're doing activities, it's like driving with that, that, that brake on. is not that you can't do them. You're just not doing them as well as you should. And you just don't perform as well and things will wear out much quicker. Exactly. And, you know, I, I want to make a point. So for anybody that's listening, that actually I would, I would look both ways. If you're a professional, if you're a client, how important it is to, to one, like really constantly be curious and educate yourself on things, you know, be, be ethical in a way that like, you know what, I want to 
be the best for my clients. And if you're a client to, you know, to take the due diligence to find out who's the right person for you. And, and, and I'll say this because I was just down at, um, at a Cressy performance in Florida for, for a seminar. And, you know, Eric gave an example of, of one of their baseball guys that, you know, was in a game, he got hit a little bit. The next day, you know, he had, he had swelling and, and discoloration and, you know, they're like, okay, it's probably from the game, from the hit, you know, and a couple of days, I think later it got a little more swole. Um, you know, and it was instantly like, let's get it checked out. And, and it was a blood clot from thoracic syndrome. Oh, wow. Um, you know, in surgery, you no know, long surgery, everything's, everything's good. But for instance, you know, not knowing these things, especially in a niche field that you're in, or just like you said, Hey, we do check stuff. You know, we check Definitely. stuff anyways. Yep. Uh, I think it's extremely important because things like that. Now that's a bit of an extreme case, but a lot of these things happen. And I'll, I'll use an example of something that happens like every day in, in our facility, right? Or what I see in other facilities sometimes that, that, you know, I, I would hope that will change is if somebody comes in and there's no test, for instance, there's no overhead flexion test, very, very simple test. If you understand it takes a minute to do and, and see if a person is capable going overhead safely. Mm-hmm. Right. And sometimes maybe it's just teaching them a couple of things and then they can do it. But a lot of times they can't even with no weight. And I, I think it is unethical to then go like, all right, listen, we're in boot camp. Everybody's doing overhead presses or right. everybody's doing, you know, make it even worse, ballistic, you know, jerks or snatches when that person with their own body weight can't go overhead. Right. Same thing goes for a squat or a lunge or, you know, if there's pain present or you can look at the movement patterns and go like, I'm not sure about that. Yeah. Uh, And I would, I would go as far as to say that with, you know, even nutrition or anything else that it's, that that is extremely important, right? Because these little things, we essentially can really influence people to do great, or we can lead them down the wrong path to, you know, to the the exact opposite. Well, that's why we like to send people here because you assess. And I, I, in my opinion and what I've seen, most fitness professionals don't do any assessment whatsoever other than maybe a skin caliper because most of the time they're looking for some weight loss, which is fine. Um, but what movements are you going to give them? Right. And How so, do you know, if you don't assess, I'm, it's just a guess. And most of the time, the feedback that I get, people work with a personal trainer, there was no assessment. And I'm, I'm glad you brought this up because, because I wanted to finish on, on this. And, you know, I think one of the most important things in anything is an assessment. Right. No question. What is point? What is point A for you at all? You know, we know you want to get to point B and most people can articulate point B pretty well. Some can't. We help them, but they can't. Right. But everybody thinks they know what point A is. Now, point A is for a lot of times for weight is like step on the scale. This is your point A body fat percentage. This is your point A, you know, uh, measurements. This is your point A. But very few go like, but here's all these other things. Right. Right. What about, and, and, and I love doing even blood work if people can go and do it. But mm-hmm. beyond that, like movement is so huge. It, you know, how do you squat? Can you touch your toes? What's your Thomas test like? You know what? Can you go, go overhead without this, that, and the other? And it right. doesn't have to be, you know, a tons of complicated things. But right. They're relatively simple, but they're exactly. really important because otherwise you're making assumptions that could hurt someone. Exactly. Because remember, two thirds of these people are walking around with disc bulges. Right. And a huge percentage of people who feel fine have rotator cuff tears and labral tears in their hip and so on. 
it's so common. So essentially what I tell the people that I get a chance to talk with is you have to assume everybody's broken. And so <laughs> you don't let them squat until they've proven they've earned the right to. And so see what their squat pattern looks like. Look what their hinge looks like. Look at their reach. So can they can they go overhead? They may not be. No problem. Help them so that they can. And if you don't know how, get them to someone who does. Because of that statistic, though, you know, that in the because of that statistic, because so many people come in and I'm sure like me and you, like I, I'm probably have, you know, partial labor and tear on the left shoulder. Who knows what I else? Cuff I, tear on my left I got, side. you know, femoral, I had femoral and trap. I got yeah. bulges and I mean, I have Afghanistan in my back. This is, <laughs> this is, this has been proven. But the point of it is, is like, so if, if somebody comes in and they're motivated, they're like, look, man, I want to feel better. I want to lose some weight. I want to do this and this and that. And we don't do these assessments. We're speeding up. Now we might help them lose weight and feel better, but we're going to speed up the process to where that emergency break is on yes. and it's going to pop. The wheel's going to fall off. Yes. And then, then they're hurt. And then it's a lot longer time off to get back to square one. And not only that, but then they're scared and afraid and the trust gets lost. And this yes. is a lot of the stuff that we, and I'm sure that you experience where they, people have been through this, right? So they've, they've been hurt three, four, five times. And it's like, look, I, I don't, you know, somebody referred you, but I, I don't know what else to do. I'm not sure. And even, even talking to them is they have the walls up, right? Well, I've done this, but I got hurt. I went there and I got hurt. And to get them back to that, to that headspace nice. of like, no, you can get better. We just got to do it the right way. Right. Um, and, and I encourage, like I said, both sides, whether it's a person looking to get in the best shape and feel better and, and, and help improve their movement and get away from pain and injuries, or if it's clinicians and, and PTs and, and, and coaches to, to like, like set a higher standard, right. For yeah. yourself. Like what is the, you know, because I think laziness is a part of it. Overwhelm and laziness, it becomes like, ah. No question. You know, I've been so busy today. Like, I'm just not, you know, we're just going to go and go, go and train. And, and, I, and I, I do think, you know, what would happen if somebody did that to you and in any situation in life, right? right. You came in and the doctor was, and unfortunately, I think the average, you know, the doctor sees a patient is like seven or eight minutes, which it's is not long. It's, it's not long, yeah. right? It's already so short. And what we talked about at the beginning, like they don't feel heard, right? You come in, it's like, listen, I, I, something's really hurting me bad. And they're checking you out. It's like, man, you feel like, it seems like you're pretty good. Here's some painkillers, right? You'd be like, no, you don't understand. Like I'm, I'm, I have some issues, right? And if we're doing the same thing, Man, it's like you'd, you'd never come back, right? Yeah. So you, as a professional, like set a higher standard for yourself. If you don't know how to do it, seek out people to do, do the courses, do whatever you need to do to do it. If if you're a client, you know, take the extra time to do the due diligence, ask the right questions. I think in this day and age now, it's easier than ever to find information on people, um, you know, whether it's Google or Facebook or, right. you know, just searching through and asking the right people um, so that, they can get the right help because man, when you get the right help, it's like everything kind of speeds up. You know, it's, it, the small hinges do swing yeah. big doors. Yeah, yeah. Um, but man, I, I know these these conversations can get off track, and <laughs> you know, great talks always always go long, and we're just trying to have a, a conversation. But thank you for coming um, by, Dan. That's awesome. Hey, t tell us a little bit where they can find you if you got a sure. website. Yep. And yep. Thanks. Um, I'm at Peak Sports and Spine Physical Therapy, both in Sammamish and in Issaquah. Uh, you can find me at www.peaksportsandspinept.com or Dance Ones Go on Facebook. Awesome. Perfect, guys. So I mean, if you if you're in a Seattle area. 
go check Dan out because he does a, a lot of cool stuff. And, you know, we're, we're trying to bring him in also into the conglomerate of Vigorville City that we're building. Uh, <laughs> so you'll, you'll probably see him there. But, you know, take some of this stuff. Like I said, look, if you don't apply any of this into your life, it never works. Right. Because it's always cool listening to things. And it's like, wow, OK, that was interesting. But if you could take one thing or dig a little bit deeper into one thing that we talked about, like it, it'll help you out. You know, even if it's just searching for what we talked about um, and educating yourself, like it'll take you forward. And and I promise you this. I know I've been in pain. If, if any of you are in pain, when you are in pain and a lot of pain, the only thing you want to do is get out of pain. Everything else doesn't mean shit. So, uh, you know, thank you for tuning in. Remember, follow us on YouTube for the video podcast and on iTunes of uh, Vigor Life podcast. And I will see you in the next episode. Peace out.